Brew Strong is brought to you by morebeer.com, where a man can brew like a man. Time for the beer radio you've been looking for. This is the show that dispels myths, tackles the toughest topics, and makes no apologies for geeking out on beer. Hosted by two guys that drink before they think. Jamil Sainashev and John Palmer. This is Brew Strong. Hey, howdy, hey, my Bruin brothers and sisters. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Bruce Strong. Howdy, howdy, howdy. You know, just set aside an entire day (laughs) and come up with a, you know, and write them down. That's a good idea. There you go. Well, you know what we should have done? We should have got some advice from, uh, like, the guys at the the Brewing Network anniversary party, the guys that helped me name the beers, the, uh, you know, the uh, Geppetto's Crotch and the Rusty Trombone. (laughs) Those, that's some marketing. That's uh, those guys know what they're talking about right there. That was yeah. that was great. Well, I'll I, check out the form. Yeah, I, I love. Yeah, I should have all sorts of ideas for you, but <laughs> you, you probably want to run them by me first. So I'll, I'll I'll tell you which ones you shouldn't say. All right, <laughs> help you, okay. Help maintain your uh, your pristine image. That's right. I, I do need a good PR man. Right. I mean, look what's happened to me. I mean, I'm. <laughs> <laughs> And one of the things I love, like, you know, we just... We, like sheep? We keep, I, <laughs> sheep are pretty nice. If you haven't tried it, don't <laughs> knock it. Uh, you know, one of the things I, I really love and I keep going on about is the conference. And one of the things, one of the great things, a great memory of the conference was the Hudachek brothers. Yeah, <laughs> you know, those guys. Those guys cracked me up. And I keep telling people, it's like you get these two guys, these brothers, and they're... they're they look a lot alike, and they sound a lot alike. Uh-huh. <laughs> and one will stand to your left, one will stand to your right, and they'll just go on. And it's like broken stereo. <laughs> it's like yeah. the left channel's working at a high pace, <laughs> in high volume. And Twins then, on caffeine. And, and then, and then the, the, the left channel fails, and the right channel kicks in at high speed, high pace, high volume. And yeah. then, you know, it switches back and forth between left and right channels. And then... All of a sudden, both channels work when they're laughing. <laughs> it's, it's laughter in stereo. Oh, those guys just crack me up. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, we took them out to lunch, didn't we, uh, at the conference? Yeah, we did. Went over to Pacific Coast, uh, had a couple of pints, had some lunch with them. They're, they're great. I really, uh, I really enjoyed yeah. hanging out with those guys. I like, you know, one of the things I love about the conference is, is meeting new people and, you know, getting to say hi and, and, you know, don't ever hesitate to come up to either John or I and say, you know, right. whatever's on your mind, you know, whether you or like Randy us or, or not. Or Ray or Charlie or anybody you've ever heard of. No, those guys don't like these you. these conferences. Those guys don't yeah. like you. We, we love you. Those guys don't. Uh, right. but come, come up and say hi and, you know, it tells you, you know, if you want a picture, don't worry. Not a problem. Uh, you know, pictures are fine. Autographs are fine. Any of that. Absolutely not a problem. We, you know, we're we've done the same thing to other people, so don't, uh, uh, you know, don't don't even worry about it. But you know, that said, the thing I miss most about the conferences nowadays is I'm so busy, and you're so busy, so I get a lot of time to just hang out with uh, some of our friends that we've known over the years. I met the Hooded Check yeah. Brothers down in uh, um, Orlando. 
where they yeah. gave me an hour's worth of crap about the competition <laughs> in Orlando. And, uh, you know, even then I liked them. You know, really nice guys. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, getting a chance to go out to lunch and hang with those guys and just talk and, and relax and have some fun, uh, that was really special for me. I, I really enjoyed that. I'm glad we could do that. And I'm glad you could be there. You know, you're one of my dear friends. And, and yep. uh, you know, those guys are just a, a, a kick in the pants. And I tell you, you know, conferences out in uh, Minnesota in 2010, that's not far from where those guys live. I think uh, I may have to, uh, like, rent a car and go out and, and hassle them in, at home or something. <laughs> uh, you know, as they describe their neighborhood, Brighton, you know, with, with yeah. their dad living next door to them and so on. <laughs> I mean, it's like the Hudachek Street. Yeah, the Hudachek compound. Yeah. Right, right. That's, that's got to be unique. Well, you you and I will have to go, and we'll have to practice. So you'll stand on the left, I'll stand on the right. <laughs> <And> <laughs> there we we'll, go. We'll blast them. I, although I, I think we'll we'll fail. I think we'll fail. We, no way we can go as long and fast and hard as those guys go. <laughs> we'll have to take Randy with us. Yeah, there you go. They do it. We we'll, we'll get we we'll get a whole crowd of people. We'll give there them uh, we'll yeah. give them quadraphonic. We'll give them <laughs> a stereo. We'll give them quadraphonic in return, huh? Yeah, there's a plan. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And uh, I don't know if I mentioned our, our great sponsor, Morebeer, morebeer.com. Uh, head out there, and uh, they're great guys, too. And actually, they've uh, done business with the Hudachek brothers for, for ages. I think Chris knows them really well. And uh, uh, he was the one who was telling me, yeah, he, he loves those guys, too. They're, they're really uh, a lot of fun. And... Uh, uh, and so are the more beer guys. If you go go to morebeer dot com, uh, you know, place your order, uh, call up the store, you know, ask them questions about stuff. They'll they'll take good care of you. They'll make sure you're very happy. Um, you know, if if you're not a happy customer from more beer, then uh, uh, I don't know what you you know because you're not uh, you, calling enough. Yeah, yeah, call them, tell them why you're not happy. They'll take care of you. They're good guys. That's a hundred percent customer service at that place. I I love those guys. And uh, what do we got today? What's our what's our Brew Strong uh, topic for the day, Justin? Well, let's leave it to Joe from Boston. He called into the number and uh, has a question he wants you guys to cover. Here you go. Hey, Jamil and John, this is Joe. I'm a member of the Boston War Processors in Boston. I understand the importance of fermentation temperature control, but I have some questions about the best way to go about controlling it. How can I keep the temp stable? when the temperature outside the fermenter can swing up to 50 degrees over a short period of time? Ah, now, see, that's a, that's a good question. It and, is. Uh, you know, that is, you know, one of the most critical things as far as, uh, you know, making great beer is temperature control. That's one of the things I've always ranted about. You know, don't be buying conicals. Don't be buying, you know, stainless uh, steel sculptures and things like that until you have your temperature control. You should be getting yourself a fridge and a controller and all that. Of course, not everybody has that amount of money, and, and there are a lot of options and a Space. lot of different ways to do it, right? Mm-hmm. That's okay. right. Well, and, you know, Joe is really cool. I love this guy. He's, uh, uh, he and I have exchanged a few emails, and uh, one of the things... He has is a book from 1762 that belonged to um, President John Adams. He actually has the book that John Adams owned. Really? Wow. And it's this brewing book. And uh, in it, it has this, uh, this uh, paragraph on uh, temperature control. And 
you know, I don't like to read things on the air because it really kind of sucks. But uh, I, I just thought this was was amazing. It's like uh, in in the book it says, I know very well good beers were sometimes, perhaps often, made before the thermometer was known. Okay, this is 1762. And yeah. still is by many who are entirely ignorant of it. But this, if not wholly the effect of chance, cannot be said to be very distant from it. They who carry on this process, unassisted by principles and the use of the thermometer, must admit they are frequently unsuccessful. Whereas, did they carefully and with knowledge apply this instrument, they certainly would not be disappointed. It is equally true... The brewing art, for a long space of time, has been governed by an ill-conveyed tradition alone. If lucky combinations have sometimes flattered the best practitioners, faulty drinks has often made them feel the want of certain and well-established rules. It is just as absurd for a brewer to refuse the use of the thermometer as it would be for an architect to reject the informations of his plummet and rule and to assert they were unserviceable because the first house and probably many others were built without their assistance. Back in 1762, this this dude here was he was on the internet doing his shows on the <laughs> Brewing Network and saying, "Look, you know, you should be using a thermometer. You know, you you balloon heads out there. I know, you know, and and that's the thing. You get people go, well, you know, I make a great beer and I don't have any fermentation temperature control. You know, it all turns out perfect. I just let it go. Yeah, it's 100 degrees out. Yeah, it's you know." But you get that variable results. You're getting beers that uh, don't attenuate fully. You're getting beers that have uh, you know a lot of diacetyl, acetaldehyde, uh, you know a lot of these characters that you really don't want. Uncontrolled, yeah. uh, you know, fusel alcohols, esters, things like that. So yeah, you know, you know Belgians. <laughs> and <now> in <laughs> Belgian, and that's that's also the thing. A lot of times we go, well, you know, it's Belgian, doesn't matter, uh, do whatever. It's like no, 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 no. Even Belgians, you know, temperature control, or even more so, they, temperature control, very yeah. important. And it you're going to make so much better beer with temperature control. That's why after like full wort boil, I you know, so you get yourself a big enough pot, and you're still extract brewing, right? You don't go to all grain. What you do is you get yourself fermentation temperature control. And you know, figure out how to control the temperatures of your ales and lagers to make uh, you know the best beer possible. Right? That's that's the big thing. So, I think uh, you know, I think if you're not doing that, then you're really not serious about making good beer if you're not controlling your temperature. So, what about Joe's question, John? Uh, you know, he's saying, look, uh, you know, here in Boston, uh, certain times of year, uh, ambient temperature can swing like fifty degrees. Uh, yep. Over short periods of time, he's had uh, uh, hit, he's hit ninety on one day, and then frost uh, you know a couple of days later. So he's been brewing with the seasons, but it's still a little hit or miss. So uh, where can we go? Well, where where do we start? What's the uh, you know? I guess you know we need what's to the, base, the, what the most base way to do it. Huh? What's the baseline? Or you know, let's start because not everybody has you know uh, the mansion on the hill like you have. Or the uh, the Pope Estate, like I have, you know, all funded right. by uh, the Brewing Network. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, how does somebody do start out on a budget? How, you know, what? Give me, give me the basics, and we'll kind of go from there. What do you think? We'll go from there and we'll kind of build on it, and and say what you would, what your next step up would be. Okay, I guess the the most basic would be an enclosed space, such as a closet. If you put if you put your fermenter in the closet. Uh, It'll probably be more stable in the closet than it would be in the room at large. Away from the sunny side of the house. So if you've got a closet right. on the interior of your house, 
that one's going to be cooler. Or if you have a, a part of your house that's always shady, at my old house I had a uh, a bathroom that was on a patio, and the patio was covered, and so it was always shaded. Even grew moss out there. So that bathroom was always nice and cool and steady. You know, something like that. If you get the sun shining on a wall, it really heats up the room. So, right. uh, you know, stay away from rooms like that. Yeah. If, um, if, if even in a, you know, even in an interior room, you still have, uh, too much temperature swing, um, a setting your fermenter into a large bucket full of water is a way to increase the thermal mass of the system and reduce the amount of temperature swing. So you could even put it in a bucket or a bathtub. Right. Fill up a bathtub with uh, water, and it doesn't even have to be cold water necessarily. Uh, you, know, you start no. out with cold water, but it'll, like John's saying, the entire tub needs to now change. So it'll, bu- it'll buffer those swings in temperature. Now, if it's hot continuously, obviously the temperature's yeah. going to rise, but it'll take much longer. Right. And you can always add ice bottles to that bath, you know, to help make, to help keep that bath's temperature down. Uh, you know, and you're you don't have to get it ice cold. You're looking for something in the 60s, so um, a couple ice bottles will work very well to help keep that water cool and to help reduce, you know, help keep the maximum temperature that where it sees is, is fermenting, uh, getting you know above say 75. Well, and. Maybe we should talk about you know the the critical aspect of fermentation temperature control is to prevent really wild swings. It would be better, right? Okay, let's say you have a recipe that's saying ferment at sixty seven degrees Fahrenheit. Okay, instead of starting at sixty five, letting it go up to sixty eight, and then back down to sixty five, and then up to sixty eight, or you know, or seventy, you know, sixty five right. to seventy, sixty five to seventy, that type of thing. Because what's going to happen is the yeast are going to start fermenting like crazy. They're going to start out slow. It's going to get up to 70. They're going to start fermenting like crazy. They may go for a couple of days, and then, you know, it's going to drop down to 65 again, and the yeast are going to be on the tail end, and they're just going to drop out of, out of solution. They're going to, uh, you know, they're going to Flocculate. go to sleep, and uh, they're not going to clean up a lot of those uh, uh, remaining right. sugars, those uh, those uh, things like acetaldehyde, acetal, and you're going to end up with a nasty beer. So it would be better than you know ch- chasing uh, 65 or chasing 67 to just let it ferment at 70 and just keep it steady at 70. So right. a steady right. fermentation temperature or a very slowly rising fermentation temperature to the end right. is is much more ideal than one that goes up and down, up and down. Yeah, uh, yeah. We we talked about that. Better. We talked about that in our lagering shows, where you you know, if anything, you want to start cooler and let the beer rise gradually over the length of the fermentation. Um, it's you know, if you're going to have warm fermentation, then a steady state warm warm fermentation at say 70 degrees is better. Than as is your saying, Jamil, than a fluctuating temperature from 65 to 70 and back down, because you're going to end up forming more precursors, more of the diacetyl, more of the acetaldehyde, and then the yeast, when it cools down, are going to stop uh, conditioning those and refining those uh, byproducts, and you're going to end up with a bad beer. Um, if you can, and and the other key point is, you know, don't let that beer start at 80 and then stick it in an ice bath and cool it down to 60 Mm -hmm. because they're going to produce tons of precursor at 80 
And as that beer cools down in the bath to, say, 60 degrees over three days when most of that fermentation is finished, you're going to have just tons of precursor left over and all your yeast has gone to sleep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, you, want, you want those yeasts to get real active at the end and, and suck up the... The dregs of what they're kind of yeah, – they're getting greedy, finding stuff to uh, make energy out of before they go dormant. And uh, you want them to be sucking up diacetyl and acetylaldehyde and stuff like that. So uh, right. that's why that rising temperature rather than a falling temperature is, is more important. So uh, your first piece of advice is find a, a room that uh, is interior and uh, enclosed. And that will be more stable if, uh, if they can add more mass – thermal mass um i suppose you could strap on uh you know large pieces of lead even <laughs> from there and that would add thermal mass uh you know anything that's uh, in good contact with the fermenter like uh, water would be uh, and water has a quite a quite a ability to carry heat so uh that that's probably one of the ideal ones and, and cheapest all right so so I've uh, got an interior room, and I've added a, a, a bucket of water, but, you know, it's getting hotter and hotter and hotter outside. I live in Sacramento or near Sacramento, and uh, it's 110. And for some reason, I haven't turned on the air conditioner. So it's 110 right. in my house. What do I do next? What's, what's my next step? Well, you go back to your closed space uh, model, but now you're going to add some active cooling to it. Uh, get a room air conditioner. Um, and just cool down that room. Right. Uh, a room air conditioner, one of the small ones from Home Depot, it'll run you 100 120 bucks. You can probably find them online for cheap, too. Um, I think I bought one a couple of years ago for $80. And, uh, you know, a 5,000 BTU, you know, two or 18-inch kind of cube air conditioner can chill down a room to maintain 65, no problem. Mm-hmm. Um, or you can go uh, to a box, build yourself a box. It could be a cardboard box and stick that uh, room air conditioner on the cardboard box. It'll work. It'll cool down that local area and help me. Well, and I, I but, see how okay, that would we work. For, but, we yeah, we on, forgot one key. That sounds kind of pricey to me. I mean, let's okay. let's say I'm you know, I'm like Justin, where I'm begging for random, ramen and condoms. So. You know what's what's the uh, you know there's got to be a cheaper stage than that, right? How about like a, you know the wet t-shirt and fan thing? I see that on the internet oh, all yeah. the time. I've never that done works it. Looks good in dry areas, yeah. Okay, so if if it's dry enough where the water will evaporate off the the t-shirt, you you drape a t-shirt over your carboy or a towel. Terry cloth towel really works well, better than a t-shirt. Yeah, uh, that's true. you know, wrap a, a terry cloth towel on there. Put a uh, like a clothespin on it, or you know, a safety pin to hold it around the the carboy. Let the ends of the towel sit in that bath of water, and then blow a fan across it. And that fan. So almost everybody has a fan and a towel at their house, right? And right. that wind blows a, across the, the towel. It increases the the evaporation rate of the water that's soaking up through the terry cloth towel. And um, it'll cool it down, uh, what do they say, like 5, 10 degrees? Yeah, but that works best in dry areas. If you're in a humid area, such as Virginia, it's not going to work very well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, that is, but that is a good cheap way to, to get some extra cooling out. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then the, the step above that would be, you know, the little window AC unit. Now, yeah. 
I've been able to pick up fridges for twenty five bucks, and yeah. uh, you know you can get yourself the controller mm-hmm. and hook that up, and and that's been pretty good. Now why why not go that route? That that is a really good route to go. Get a get a spare fridge, and you can pick them up off Craigslist, like you say, or you know uh, eBay, or you know various uh, uh, used fridges or whatever you can get those, you know for for cheap, and uh, get yourself a temperature controller. Um, like a Johnson or a, a Ronco, and uh, put your probe—you know—put the probe inside the fridge, attach it, tape it to your carboy, and uh, that will help you maintain a very consistent temperature. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and that—that's what I use. Uh, you know, I use a uh, fridge, and then uh, I love my Johnson, and uh, yeah, you uh, tape it to your carboy all the time. Don't I, you? I put my probe on my carboy, and. Uh, the, I guess the, the drawback to this is, uh, you know, it takes up a lot of room. So if you don't have, you know, you're not going to wheel the fridge into the, uh, you know, into the house and and put it in the bedroom, and yeah. uh, you stick know, it in the garage. Well, if you're if you're married, you're certainly not doing this. But uh, <laughs> uh, you know, if you're living with a, a, a you know, frat house, then I'm sure this is fine. But yeah, you you need to put it in the garage or somewhere, and then um, you know, almost any fridge will work. Uh, the the question often is that I see is you know should I use a fridge or should I use a freezer? And I've always leaned towards the fridge because the temperatures that you want on a uh, to do your fermentation at are more fridge temperature like. Even when you're lagering, it's fridge temperature. You know, yeah. that's, fridge temperature is you know just below forty. It's like thirty six degrees, and they'll go down to thirty two, and they'll go up to forty or forty five, you know, or fifty. Now, um, and so with with loggers, you can almost even dial it in with the the fridge controller. Uh, you know, so, so a cheap way to do loggers. If you're trying to do ales, you want a warmer, right? Now, a freezer right. isn't meant to carry away the condensation like a fridge is. A fridge is designed to pull all that condensation out, and you know, there's frost free and all that stuff. With a freezer, you tend to c- catch a lot of uh, moisture in those things. And people have a lot of uh, moisture problems. Yeah, mold. Mm -hmm. Easy to get mold in a freezer. So people end up using those buckets of uh, damp rid or whatever to to soak up the the moisture in there. I prefer just going with a fridge. Fridge is cheaper to start with usually. And then, uh, you know, you can can put your stuff in there. And and lifting lifting, six gallons of wort over the edge of a chest freezer and down in is not easy for us middle-aged guys. Or old guys like me. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's hard on your back. So a fridge, it's a lot easier to squat down and lift the carboy, you know, the, the mm-hmm. one one vertical foot to slide it in on the bottom shelf there in the fridge. Right, right. And, uh, you know, as far as controllers go, you know, they got the Johnson, they got the Ranco, they got the old Johnsons with the metal probe. And those uh, those are okay. You got to be real careful. You don't kink that little line that that uh, you know it's a it's an open uh, tube that air pressure uh, and, and works off of air pressure. So you you don't want to kink that tube. Uh, the later ones they're electronic and and they're a lot more durable. But uh, I like the some of the Johnsons. The ones that I have right now, I haven't been in the market for a controller for quite a while. But uh, the Johnsons will have a anti short cycle uh, setting. So, uh, you know, you have this fridge, 
and it's got a compressor. If you um, run the compressor for a while and then stop it and restart it and stop it and restart it, you can end up with some some issues on the uh, on the on the compressor shortening the life of the compressor. So what you want is this anti short short cycle. It it gives a twenty sec twenty minute delay. So if the, the thing's just been running, it won't run again for 20 minutes, and that actually extends the life of your compressor. That's a nice thing. Now, on the Rancos, they'll have ones that are uh, two-stage. And uh, what I want to do is, uh, uh, you know, you hook up those two-stage, you can do, uh, you know, uh, heating and cooling all at the same time. So uh, that's very, very cool. What I want to do, I'll take a short break, and when I come back, I want to kind of get into uh, heating and cooling at the same time off of one controller and one fridge. Back after this. Keep your carboy cap on. This is Bruce Strong. We'll be right back. Nico, listen, our lawyer said that we had to do this for one hour, and after this, we don't have to talk to each other for three more months until the next meeting. Kids. Come on, let's get out of here. I'm supposed to have more lines. I'm the professional. <clears throat> hey, it's Sully. And I'm Nico. And we opened the 21st Amendment nine years ago at 563 2nd Street in San Francisco, just two blocks from Giants Park, to make great beer and have a great time doing it. That's right, because to us, the 21st Amendment is more than just the right to make beer. It's the right to experiment, to be innovative, and just do things differently. And so now, we're putting our craft beer in cans. That's right, cans. You can find our world-famous Hell or High Watermelon Wheat Beer and Brew Free or Die IPA throughout California and Alaska. And now, it's also available on draft at select accounts in the Bay Area. So next time you're at your local neighborhood pub or good beer store, be sure to ask for 21st Amendment in cans. Because everyone likes it in a can. Tasty Crack Cans. Tasty Crack Cans. White Labs, your source for maltose mowing monsters, announces the White Labs Platinum lineup for 2009. Looking for out-of-the-ordinary yeast to make the best beer possible? The Platinum strains from White Labs are only available for a limited time and make your homebrew stand out. Through February, find Australian Ale, Essex Ale, and Dusseldorf Alt Yeast. March and April, it's Nottingham Ale, Abbey 4, and Mexican Lager Yeast. And May through June, don't miss Premium Bitter Ale, Belgian Wit 2, and Belgian Bastogne Ale Yeast. Keep up with all the great yeasts in the White Labs Platinum Program at whitelabs.com, where you can also join the White Labs Customer Club. Brew with the freshest and most unique yeast with the White Labs 2009 Platinum Strains. White Labs. It's all in the vial. In the past year, the Brewing Network has been able to add two new shows, expand our studio capabilities and quality, and bring more beer information home to you than ever before. 
In no small part, this is due to subscribers like you. Thank you from all of us at the Brewing Network. Without your monthly support of any denomination, we could not bring you the very best in live beer radio like Can You Brew It? Brew Strong and the Sunday Session. Haven't signed up yet? Join your fellow brewers in the BN Army. Sign up today at thebrewingnetwork.com for a recurring donation as little as $2 a month. Besides all the great live radio you'll support, every subscriber is automatically entered in monthly raffles for amazing brew gear like a conical fermenter, a temperature control system, or your own draft setup. Become a part of the BN Army today. You're listening to the Brewing Network. Back to the beer guys that make other beer guys look like wine guys. Brew strong. All right. Before the break, I was talking about um, uh, heating and cooling, and, and I've got a lot of questions on that. Um, John, have you ever done any heating and cooling simultaneously in a, in a, in a controlled environment type of thing? Yeah, I have. I, uh-huh. um, when I brew during the winter around here, um, normally, you know, I'm in luxury of Southern California. Uh, it usually doesn't get much below, you know, 60 during the day. Uh, during the winter, but um, is that when around... you put on the parka and you start shivering? And uh... oh yeah, heavy sweatshirts definitely. <laughs> <laughs> you Southern but, California um... people. <laughs> yeah, we're all wimps. But uh, no, I, I, there are nights when it'll drop down to um, fifty. 40. Oh my God! How do you survive? <laughs> do you need well, a snowblower? I, I put a little space heater in the shed, <laughs> and yeah. uh, that that took care of the fermentation. Uh... Oh, okay. Okay. Now, do you put a controller on that, or you just let that kind of go? Um, I, the the space heater I bought had a built-in controller on it, uh, okay. so you could you could set the temperature, and it would, you know, it would turn it on and off. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, I mean, maybe I'm thinking like twenty five dollars, maybe thirty dollars for this little space heater. You know, mm-hmm. pretty cheap. Well, I'd say, you know, those things are, you know, you can find all sorts of good bargains and things like that. Uh, you know, even a, uh, you know, a heating pad, you can go down to Walmart and for less than 10 bucks, you can pick up a heating pad as well, uh, you know, that can help you control fermentation temperatures. Now, uh, if, if it's got a, a thermostatic controller, thermostatic meaning, uh, you know, it responds to the environment, the, uh, the, the temperature in the environment, then uh, and it's in the range you need, then great. I mean, that'll actually work fairly well. If you don't, something like a heating pad is kind of just like an all-on, uh, you know, at, at whatever wattage. You know, you have the low, the medium, the high setting, and it's just wattage going through coils and resistive heat that it generates. Well, the, one of the cool things is Ranco and uh, our sponsor, Morebeer, uh, morebeer.com, they, they sell these things, these Ranco controllers, and they've got uh, two stages to them. One, uh, and you can dial them both in for cooling if you want or both in for heating, but the logical way is one for cooling, one for heating. And what I will do, let's say I've got uh, wild swinging temperatures like, like Joe has experienced of, uh, you know, 50 degrees. I, I get that in, in, where I live uh at the Pope Estates in uh, in Elk Grove, the, uh, the wild temperature swinging, swing. yeah, right. There's wild swinging going on at the Pope Estates. Good one, John. Uh, very good. Um, <laughs> so you've been there, uh, and uh, 
you know, in the day, it's, you know, it's 90 degrees. At night, it, it drops to 50, you know, a 40-degree swing. Well, uh, uh, you know, what I'll do is I'll put a heat wrap, uh, which you also can buy from warm beer, on the, the heating side of the controller. And then the fridge is hooked up to the cooling side of the controller. And I'll put a degree tolerance between them, and it'll hold that beer right in that temperature range, and no problems at all. Uh, you know, when it when it starts getting too warm, the the fridge comes on. When it gets too cold, the 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 firm wrap uh, comes on and uh, maintains that temperature in a nice tight tolerance. Now, you can kind of use that to advantage. One of the questions Joe had for me in our emails was, you know, how do you do? You know, the a lot of batches how do you control those without having like you know four refrigerators going with four controllers well one of the things you can do is in one of these fridges if it's big enough and holds a couple carboys you can put a uh the uh probe on uh you know uh, the heat and you put uh you can you can uh, or you can have your your heat controller on on one of the uh, the carboys and use that for an ale and uh, keep that temperature up. And then you can put a controller on the uh, the cooling, on the lager. And between the two, uh, you know, the, the fridge is going to try and keep uh, the lager cool enough. Just leave some space between them. Don't touch them together, right, because then you get a conductive uh, 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 heat transfer. So keep the two carboys apart, and one of them is running the fridge, and that's your lager. And that you're going to have about 50 degrees Fahrenheit. And then if you have an ale that's running around 65, the firm wrap on that or your heating pad will uh, keep that temperature up. And uh, you can actually do the two in the same uh, environment. And it actually works works quite well. I've done it uh, a number of times. And uh, I think that's, that, that's a good way to go. Uh, what else would you use controllers for, John? Uh, you know, how else, how else could you do this? Uh, you know, could you do the fridge without uh, without a controller? You can. Um, you need to have a you know a thermometer in the fridge. You know, a freestanding thermometer inside there that you can you know monitor and and watch to make sure you're not getting down uh, below thirty two. Because uh, beer will freeze. It uh, if it gets down you know say thirty or so or twenty eight, it will freeze, um, which is Annoying, you know, not fatal, but annoying. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't want to yeah, freeze I'm, those yeast cells because, uh, you know, that's, that's yeah, then, where your fermentation's at. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I've often uh, just run it without a controller. Um, you know, I can watch the thermometer and tweak it down a little bit and tweak it down a little bit. Like when I'm lagering or something, I'll just mm-hmm. – um, I won't bother setting the controller for 35. I'll just – Start moving it down over a couple of days and, and uh, watch it stabilize, you know, down near 32 to 34. Mm-hmm. And I'm um, lagering there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's likewise with the warm setting, you know. it's uh, A temperature controller is not crucial, but it, it really does help. It simplifies, you know, it takes the worry out of the process. Well, and one of the problems you're going to have with... Uh a refrigerator or a like an AC window unit. I I on my sign I've got uh, the uh, the uh, walk-in cooler that I built with a AC window unit and a bunch of styrofoam panels in my shed. Now I've since torn that down because of termite problems and and moving to the Pope <laughs> Estate. But uh, uh, you know the problem you have is window AC unit is designed 
to go down to like, you know, 50 degrees at the coolest. It's not, yeah. you know, if you want to do lagers or you want to do, you know, even some ales, if they're actively fermenting, they're not going to, you know, 50 degrees isn't going to do it. Uh, same thing with refrigerators. Refrigerators are designed to run between, you know, 32 and uh, like 45 in the box, you know. Yeah. And if you need warmer than that, you're going to have a problem. The great thing is if you don't have one, you know, if you go out to buy yourself a, a window AC unit or refrigerator, go with the cheapest one possible, the one with the manual controls, the one with the dial knob that's, you know, it's actually turning a, a resistor on, you know, a pot on the other end. Yeah. Uh, rather than digital controls, if you're going through solid state circuitry, then you're kind of stuck. Uh, it, you know, it's much more difficult to tweak these things. But if you're talking manual controls, you disassemble that panel, and of course, do this at your own risk. If you don't know what you're doing, don't do this because you can kill yourself. Uh, but you can pull that out, and usually, what you'll find on the other side of that knob, on the other side of that control, is uh, a screw, and that screw is actually determining the set point of that range of that uh, control, you know, the, the on-off point where it's, uh, it's set. And you take the somewhere there's a probe, there's a temperature probe. Now you can just do this, you know, experimentation-wise. But uh, like a window AC unit, at the very front, you pull off the grill, there's a, a probe across the front of the, uh, the cooling uh, grid there. The fins of the the aluminum fins there, and there's a there'll be a, a shiny tube like one of the old Johnson controllers. You take that, put it in ice water. That's 32 degrees, right? You shake it around in some crushed ice and water, 32 degrees, and you can adjust that little screw, and you'll hear it go tink tink as it uh, goes in and out of that set point. And there you know that's 32 degrees. So you can actually dial in a window AC unit to run at any temperature you darn well please. You can dial it down, and, and those things will put out, you know, minus 10-degree air. They'll put out 100-degree air. You just tell it what, what kind of range you want. And, uh, you know, it usually has about a, about a 20 to 30-degree Fahrenheit range. And uh, you can use that to, uh, you know, adjust it for uh, properly holding ales in a in a small room or or lagers in a, in a room as well, or like in a cold box. And you can do the same thing on a fridge. So if you don't have your own controller, uh, you can do that. I've also seen people with, uh, uh, you know, uh, plans on the internet for uh, taking a like a home thermostat. And wiring that up to a fridge, that seems a lot more dangerous to me. <laughs> Yeah. But, uh, uh, you know, that's a possibility as well. Uh, you know, things like that can be done as well. So, uh, uh, you know, it is, uh, you know, possible to, to make those things controlled without buying the controllers. Because controllers can be, you know, uh, 70 bucks, 75 bucks. Yeah. Or even up, you know, even more, some of them. But, uh, yeah, I mean, steal money from your kids if you have to, but yeah, get a controller. Right. Yeah, uh, turn the wife out to run a few tricks. Yeah, that's good. Uh, I like well. both of your perspectives on this. It's that important. <laughs> Steal yes, from the kids, is. put uh-huh. out the wife. It's that important. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I rent like it. out the dog. I like you it. Know, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Good. I think, I think uh, I, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, you shouldn't be buying um, fancy counter-pressure bottle fillers. You know, if you're entering a competition, you should be filling off a freaking tube going in a bottle like Tasty does. You should, uh, 
you, know, you shouldn't be buying uh, stainless anything. You know, you should be buying temperature control. That's what you should be buying. If you're doing anything yeah. else, uh, you know, it's kind of crazy. Yeah, so, do it yourself is all well and good, but I mean, a, a seventy-five dollar temperature controller is one of the best investments you can make. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I agree. It's going to make a world of difference in your brewing. Trust us on this. It's like you know, pitching rates are important, but even over pitching rates, I would go with fermentation temperature control. It's really that critical. And can I just mention the lazy factor you haven't even mentioned that? Oh. Uh, Getting that $75 temp controller, right. not only did it make it possible for me, but I did the whole frozen water bottle thing for oh, a while. Yeah, you, you do it for once or twice, and then you're like, what the hell? Forget it. Right. And it's more <laughs> frustration, too, because it fluctuates a little bit. Now it's too cold. Now it's too, too cold, too hot. And yeah. So yeah. even the hands-off factor was, yes. yeah, it, not just the quality of the beer, but just that you can walk away. Right. So you, great. You set it and forget it. Absolutely. It's like a, a Ronco, you know... <laughs> Whatever they are. <laughs> uh, the Showtime Grill, that's it. Uh, well, we got an interesting email from uh, Luke, and uh, he says, uh, Jamil, everyone's trying to be a bit more environmentally friendly these days. Let's face it, homebrewing is not the greenest hobby in the world. But I'm looking at ways I could cut down on energy and water usage. I'm wondering if I could just control the fermentation temp in the ales for just the bulk of fermentation, like the first several days of vigorous fermentation. My basement stays pretty cool in summer long, about 68 to 74 Fahrenheit. Will these swings in temperature affect my beer or shock the yeast? Uh, and he says, I made a post on the forum, but no one gives me a good reason why not to do this. Uh, and I thought that was actually a very good question. I, I thought, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. You know, why Why wouldn't you? And, and actually, you know, Luke's paying attention because uh, on a lot of the uh, Jamel shows, we've been talking about how it's really critical. The, the first phase of fermentation is really where all your precursors are made, where you know growth happens and you know cell wall uh, permeability, things like that are all kind of determined. You know, from nutrient levels, oxygen levels, temperature, pitching rate, all that is really determined up front. And what yep. you do up front determines what happens at the end and, and how leaky the cell gets and all the crud that oozes out of it and uh, gives you, uh, you know... Uh, a lot of other things and uh, uh, the, uh, you know, all the precursors that you made at the beginning, uh, you know, whether they're cleaned up at the end, things like that. So uh, very critical temperature control at the beginning. That doesn't necessarily mean you can just let it go at the end. So when you start out, let's say you're starting out at, uh, you know, 65 degrees Fahrenheit and you're fermenting for... You know, it's going to take about a week for the thing to completely go. After the first couple of days, you really don't need to hold it at 65 anymore. Once you're two, three days into it, doesn't matter. But you can't let it start swinging, going high and going low. AC and DC, as John knows, coming by the Pope estate. You, <laughs> you really, you really, uh, you know, what you want is either a rising temperature or a steady temperature. Going warmer is okay, and it can steadily get warmer. But if it starts going from 65, 66, 67, 68, 69, 80. Uh, you know, 70, um, even 80, if, you know, uh, there's certain strains, and if it's towards the very tag end, you're going to be okay. But if it's, it climbs up to, you know, 70 degrees, uh, and then all of a sudden it goes 65 again, uh, 
your yeast is just going to start to flocculate. Yeah. And they're not going to finish up. You're going to end up with uh, you, you may end up with under attenuation. You most likely will have acetaldehyde, a kind of a green apple uh, character in the beer, and most likely you'll have a diacetyl, kind of a buttery character in your beer. Yeah. So you, you just can't let it drop off a cliff like that. You can't let it swing. Uh, you know, if you're if you're an area, you know, uh, like John was saying earlier on, if you have an interior closet space and you put the uh, fermenter in there and it's getting warmer and it's staying steady uh, or, you know, in a water bath of some kind, great. No problem. I, I think it's going to be steady enough. It'll be fine. But if you're putting it outside where, you know, it gets sunny in the day and cold at night, it's really just going to kind of mess up your beer. So you, you really don't want to do that. But I, I thought Luke uh, uh, had a great question there with, uh, uh, you know, how long do you need to temperature control this thing? Yeah. And I guess the, the, the time we'd throw out there is for an ale at least 36 hours, if not 48 Right, right. Yeah, within 48 or so, uh, you know, most of that stuff has happened. All the growth happens within the first 36 hours maximum. And then it's, uh, you know, uh, and and precursors and stuff, uh, you know, it's all happening earlier on. Yeah, lagers maybe uh, the first uh, uh, three days are probably more critical. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then it could start warming up. Right. And, and and what I like to do is start cold with lagers. Yep. Start, you know, 44 or so, and then let it rise up to 50 uh, over the first couple of days and then hold it at 50. And then towards the end, I, I don't care. As long as it's going up, uh, as long as it's not going down, I, I, I don't care what it what it ends up at. And right. what, what I'll often do is uh, with lagers, you know, it looks like it's slowing down. looks as like it's pretty close to the end. I'll take it out and put it on the counter where I... Uh, I rack to a keg, and I'll let it sit there for a day or two, and the temperature's just rising the whole time. And it gets up to, you know, 60-ish or so. And yeah. uh, you know, it's perfect because the yeast become a little more active. They reabsorb that diacetyl. They clean up the acetaldehyde. Uh, acetaldehyde happens. Every sugar and all that, it's all being turned into acetaldehyde. So you, you have acetaldehyde in there. It's an intermediate step on the way to ethanol. So... Uh, you know, you just want to make sure that thing gets complete and all that gets reabsorbed. That's right. Very good. Very good. All right. Well, let's take a break. And when we come back, uh, we'll wrap up with uh, some of our uh, questions from the chat room. Back after this. Smart. Brew Strong. This is Brew Strong. Yeah. 
Hey, Push, the new brewery's looking good. Thanks, Fen. Piece by piece. Well, let's fire up. Whoa! Is that a new kettle? Yeah, just got it brand new, but paid half price. What? And that blade scale? 40% off. The new tap handle? Five bucks instead of 13. Got a new regulator for the brew sand, too, but five bucks instead of 25. Dude, where are you stealing all this stuff from? Where else? The more beer deal of the day. Announcing the Beer, Beer, and More Beer Deal of the Day. Every day, a new fantastic deal from big items to small that will blow you away. Boil kettles, carboy carriers, sterile siphon starters, digital timers. Watch morebeer.com every day for a new deal, and you just might find the item you've been waiting for at a price you cannot believe. Hurry, because stock is limited on most items. And that sweet Guinness cap, let me guess. The The More more Beer beer Deal deal of the day. Day. Yeah, I knew it. Come on, let's brew something. Find the More Beer Deal of the Day at morebeer.com. Celebrity Voices Impersonated. Downtown Joe's, located in the historic Oberon Building in beautiful downtown Napa, California, offers an award-winning brew pub experience from 8.30 a.m. to 1 a.m. every day. For 15 years at the corner of 2nd and Main, Downtown Joe's has been voted Best Night Spot seven times and Best Brew Pub for the last four years in a row. Brewmaster Colin Kaminsky's handcrafted ales, like his Tailwagon Amber Ale and Catherine the Great Imperial Stout, are the perfect accent to riverside dining, live music, and a relaxing outdoor patio. Don't miss the Beer of the Month, special rotating taps, and happy hour all day Mondays. Visit downtownjoes.com to make reservations, peruse their extensive calendar of events, or just read more about their fantastic beers. Come enjoy the fine beer, food, and music. Downtown Joe's, the award-winning brew pub where you'll feel at home. Williams Brewing is your online resource for prompt delivery of quality home brewing supplies. Since 1979, Williams Brewing has offered the finest equipment and freshest ingredients and the best customer service in the business. Cut hours off your brewing sessions by using one of their 11 varieties of famous Williams malt extract. Their Williams German Pills is mashed with pure German Moravian two-row barley malt for a light blonde color and malty Christmas you just can't get from other extracts. Or check out their unique fermenters, draft beer equipment, bottling aids, and more. They even have their own line of precision hydrometers. Go to williamsbrewing.com to browse their vast selection and enter promo code BREW at the order checkout for $5 off your next order over $50. Orders placed by 3 p.m. ship the same day. Again, go to williamsbrewing.com and enter promo code BREW at checkout for $5 off your next order. Brewing is easy the Williams way. This Sit down next to it, grab yourself a paper towel, and watch those yeast have sex. You're listening to the Google Network. Like the Lance Armstrong of the beer world. Except for that nut thing. This is Brew Strong. Go Lance. Beach some Frenchies the thing or two. I have a house full of Frenchies, and I agree with you. F the French. <laughs> and actually, you know, we went to to, to France and uh, hung around Paris for a while. And yeah, I was all prepared as the uh, as the rude American to uh, not enjoy it. And I'll tell you, it's one of the greatest cities in the world. Paris is one of the great, and the French are one of the greatest people in the world. Not rude, one, like they say. Uh, yeah, they just they're just not uh, you know smiling and thank you like uh, you know 
the people are in the U.S. all the time, which is a lot of times very fake. They're, they're very real, uh, very straightforward people. I, I actually really like the French. I, I really like uh, France. I like, I like, I like everything about it. I like the the city. I like the people. I like the food. I like everything about it. I agree with you. Really, just wonderful. Uh, you know, of course, I love pretty much everywhere I go. <laughs> as long as I get to meet the people, because you're not working. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with the family. I'm not working. Yeah. There's there's beer to drink, uh, so it's really good. But. Uh, yeah, so I don't know. But go Lance Armstrong. Of course, he's not riding for the U.S., is he? He's riding for... Prostate? A- Astra? Her Astra? I mean, what is he? Yeah, some, Astra or something like that. Yeah. Some some country, probably. Right? Astra? Right, I don't Ast- know. Yeah, I don't know either. What is that about? Well, it's all these guys, you know, they're not from these countries, but it's like soccer players. They just go to whatever country is pony up. It's going to pay up the dough. Yeah, yeah. Good for him. Yeah. No, no, he's... he's uh, he represented his country for a long time, and you know if he can do it this time, great. I I love somebody that defies the odds, you know, and really just uh, you know proves uh, his uh, detractors wrong. So, like me, if there was a ramen eating competition, you mean I, I would go to for one any country, and you would like it because I'd be defying the odds. You'd think I'd fail, but no, boy, could I eat that ramen. And it would also go. I could also then succeed in the how fast does ramen go through you competition i win gold in both you're welcome (laughs) all right now these derailed the entire program the program brought to you by morebeer.com great guys great products and uh thank them for having justin on the air you know that's that's quality programming right there well well, John, did you have anything else to add about uh, you know temperature control? There's, there's, you know, the the problem with this is we can say, hey, yeah, control your temperature, you know, this way, that way, but everybody's got you know their own little uh, you know clever ways of doing this, and they get a lot of questions. Yeah, I, I, one one topic that has come up between you and I in the past is you well, know, do you let- mine is longer. It it's an optical <laughs> illusion. Do you do you leave your probe just hanging in the air, or you strap it to the carboy? I go commando all the time. No, uh, <laughs> strap it to the carboy. Absolutely. You don't want to measure the ambient temperature. Ambient temperature doesn't tell you anything. Okay. the The air around the carboy, even a the the vial of uh, water or something that you're measuring in the ambient, is not the right thing to measure. You want to measure the temperature of that fermentation. That's what you're trying to control. It's like in uh, Brewing Classic Styles, which you pick up in the Brewing Network store, signed yeah. by John Palmer and Jamel Zanchef. Um, the, uh, the, the temperatures listed in there are the temperature of the fermentation, okay? Unless you're measuring the fermenting beer, you're not measuring the temperature of fermentation, right? The air around it is not fermentation, and here's the reason why. Uh, as the yeast become more active, they generate more heat. As they slow down towards the end, they generate less heat. If you're still cooling to the same BTU rate at the end of fermentation as you were at the beginning of fermentation, you're overcooling your fermentation. And you're going to end up with a lot of uh, leftover byproducts that, you know, when you enter any competition, they're going to say, ah, oh, it's not clean. It's got, you know, diacetyl. It's got acetylaldehyde. It's got, you know, yada, yada, yada. It's not attenuated. So you need to measure the temperature of fermentation. So your probe should not be swinging freely. It should be attached firmly. There you go. 
And that's definitely one of the things that's been a discussion of the chat room. Oh, yeah? What, so what, to, what questions do we have from the chat? What, yeah, to, to throw that in, uh, th- there was a lot of discussion about where to put the probe, to tape it to the side of the carboy, to use one of the, uh, like, more beers firm well, you know, mm-hmm. to get down in there. And this actually came up between me and Chad the other day. We do 10-gallon batches, so we've always got two carboys uh, going when we're not using uh, your conical. Um, and he was he didn't have a firm well, and I said, don't worry about it, just... Place it between the two carboys. Between the two. It's like two pillows. Put it, put it in between the two Think pillows. Think of it as cleavage and put it in the best possible spot. Eh. Right there in the center, you know, where there's liquid. This is something that you had told me. I had called you one day, I think it was, and I said, hey, uh, I finally got temperature control, but I forgot to buy a firm well. Mm-hmm. And you said, you know, just put it between the two, and it's. And right. you, right. you were telling me how accurate it's going to be. Yep. Well, Chad was arguing with me a little bit. You know, I don't Chad know. Chad didn't I have shit. And I, and I said, well, okay. I know I don't know what I'm talking about in general, but test it. Mm-hmm. Put it in between. Put the other one in your firmo. Go clean it out, whatever you do. So, And the funny thing was that Jamil didn't realize you were talking about brewing. <laughs> right. The whole time he's thinking, John's yeah. on a roll tonight, I tell you. <laughs> yeah. We have corrupted that boy. So with all the talk in the chat room about it and this conversation I had with Chad, why don't you tell us what is, you know right. uh, best way to, to place the probe? <laughs> yes. Thank you. Uh, all right. So there's a con- the probe con- there's you know uh, what there's convection there's conduction and there's uh, what radiation, right? Right. Those those are the ways that heat gets transferred between one body and another, one object and another, and conduction is really the thing that you're looking for. Yeah, you want intimate contact and with your probe. Uh, yeah, with your probe, and better yet, if you can get it wet. <laughs> right, but. You know, the conductivity of glass. Now, glass is a, a decent insulator, but not that good an insulator. Now, it's a decent insulator when you're talking about rapid changes between outside and inside, right? Right. And you think, oh, glass carboy, oh, it's not measuring the temperature of the wort. But that glass, very, it, it will, uh, you know, transmit the temperature of the, the liquid through the glass much faster than the liquid can change temperature. That's why it's okay to tape your you tape your probe to the outside of your your carboy, kind of midway between top and bottom of the liquid. Tape it on there so it's got nice contact with the glass. If you're really anal about it, you can put some thermal compound on there so it's you know totally intimately in contact with the glass. But that's overkill. You don't even need that. And what I like to use is either a, you know you take a towel and fold it up a couple of times, or bubble wrap is really good. Or any of that uh, thin uh, foam insulation, and a lot of times they'll they'll pack things with you. Yeah. Uh, you know, fold that up a few times, put that over the so you've taped your probe to the to the glass with uh, like painters tape. So you're gonna get that gooey mess with duct tape. I used to use duct tape, and I realized painters tape would be better. Then you tape over your your insulation over that thing, and I'll tell you, you are reading the temperature of the liquid inside that vessel very accurately. There's, if you're a half degree off, I'd be shocked. Uh, there was a good article in uh, Zymergy, I believe it was, uh, back when uh, Ray Daniels first took over, uh, one of the tech geek articles or something, and uh, a guy did an experiment. He measured the, the, the temperature in the center of the, uh, of the carboy, in the liquid, and he measured the temperature near the uh, glass wall of the carboy on the inside, and he measured the temperature on the outside of the glass. And it was within a half degree all the time. 
So as long as you're getting, you know, fermentation in there where the wort's moving or the beer's moving during fermentation, uh, that temperature on the outside is is the same. Now, the thing Justin was talking about, if you have two carboys sitting side by side, you got one probe to put between them. Just put it right in the middle. Touch the two things together over the probe, insulate it, you're done. And it's going to really give you the average of both those those carboys. And both will be uh, be just fine. Uh, not a problem with that. All right, got more questions from the chat too. Um, did, did you talk about putting it in a jar of water inside the uh, fridge? You did. Yes. Uh, so the, the the problem with that is all right. This 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 container of water, and this was one thing I heard all the time was like you know oh you can drill out the top of like a white labs vial and put it in there, and you can you know it's going to buffer the changes in in the air. You don't want to measure the temperature of the air, and, 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 and that liquid, whatever it might be, it's not the fermenting beer. You don't have living not, creatures yeah, in there generating you know, kcals of energy and warming up the, the, the liquid. And you really want to control the temperature of the ferment, not to control the temperature of the environment, the ferment. Okay. All right, another good question is about secondary fermentation temp control. This listener says, I'm able to temp control the primary fermentation, but uh, secondary or conditioning, um, I'm not able to do that. So uh, he says, you know, if if the beer's a bit higher once I go to secondary, say 5 to 10 degrees, than primary, is that a problem? Is it going to affect my beer? That's a good question, I think. What do you guys think? Uh, depends on what he's calling secondary. If he's racking it to a secondary fermenter and adding fruit or something, um, he really should be monitoring uh, that fermentation temperature, just like in primary. Um, if you don't monitor it and you let that warm up to 75, fermenting on fruit, you're going to get the fusel alcohols. Uh, so uh, that's one one caveat there. Um, if, if, on the other hand, he is just, if he's talking about the secondary phase of fermentation where he's keeping it in the same carboy and he's just giving the, the beer an extra week on the yeast to condition, then, yeah, you can you can go let it go up to 70, 75 uh, without really harming it. And, with you know, so you really don't need the control at that point. Right. Um, no, I agree with what, what you said. I think the uh, the only other thing I'm thinking he might mean is uh, you know conditioning in bottles and carbonation and all that. Oh, okay. So yeah. let's say he's you know gone because because I don't advocate uh, you know the secondary fermenter and all that stuff. That's old school. Uh, you know right. you don't need to do that sort of thing. You you go ahead and let your yeast uh, you know ferment out completely and fully. And then you transfer to whatever, you know, bottle or keg you're going to use. Unless you're doing, like John said, fruit, you're fermenting some fruit, you're at to do a fruit addition or dry hopping or, you know, souring or something like that. Then you need a secondary vessel. But uh, otherwise you don't. And, you know, maybe he's talking about, uh, you, I've bottled it and I've got my, my beer in my bottles and I want it to carbonate now. Uh, at that point, what is it okay for me to let it sit warm and fluctuate? And at carbonation time, uh, absolutely no problem. You can actually let it go up and down and all that stuff. That's fine. You know, you, you just want to keep it warm enough so it so that yeast are active enough to carbonate fully. 
and I think that's that's not a problem at all. You won't generate any. You know, the minimal amount of sugars they're going to ferment. They're not doing any growth. Uh, it's it's going to be just fine. Okay. And last so question. Want- oh, go ahead. Sorry, Palmer. Oh, uh, just going back to the hot saturation show and uh, Charlie Bamforth's talk at NHC this year. Uh, one uh, one key to preserving beer flavor, flavor stability, is uh, once you've got that beer packaged to reduce it to keep it cool. Yep. So if you've gotten past the carbon, the couple weeks it takes for carbonation, then now it's and if you want to preserve the flavor of the beer. Now is time to keep it cool and steady, you know, cellaring temperatures um, or in the fridge mm-hmm. if you really want flavor stability. That's that's the other thing to be aware of in that, this discussion. That's an excellent point, John. And I think one that's not emphasized enough is, um, you know, you can carbonate a beer at uh, 50, 60 degrees. They'll go ahead and carbonate. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it'll take a long time, but, uh, you know, your beer will last a lot longer if you do. You know, mm-hmm. so that, that cooler... Uh, you know, carbonation, or you know, if you're going to carbonate a warmer, get those once they've reached their carbonation level. Chill those things down. The closer you can hold those to freezing, uh, and the steadier that temperature is, the longer that beer will last. I mean, this year in the NHC, I entered beers that I brewed six years ago, and they did just fine. And you've been you keeping know, them at what? You've been keeping them at thirty-four? Yeah, thirty-seven for years. Yeah, yeah, I had that walk-in cooler, and I just stuck everything in there. And no. this year, I was tearing it down. I'm like, oh, I'll just enter this and enter that. Mm-hmm. You know, cooler going away, and uh, you know, did did just fine. And you know that that cool, steady temperature without you know shaking them around or you know getting them hot. Uh, you know, the, I think the the point John was making was Bamforth was saying, like every ten degrees, you end up with uh, you know like half the half the life. So the cooler you can have it, the the longer it's going to last. If you can get it nice and cool, uh, it'll stay steady for, and stable for a long, long time. Okay. And a little temp control question about uh, wort. Uh, Kim's in the chat room tonight, and she wants to know, hey, uh, you know, we only have a regular wort chiller. We don't have that fancy Jamil-style Whirlpool chiller. Oh, well, cut them off. <laughs> That's it. Eject them from the chat. Yeah. So they say it's hard to get the wort to a pitchable temp shortly after the boil. And mm-hmm. by the way, it's hard for everybody, isn't it? So um, what they've been doing is putting it in their chest freezer, which does have temp control, and waiting till it gets to pitching temp, which is usually overnight. Mm-hmm. Uh, so and then and then of course pitching yeast. Mm-hmm. Any problems with doing that? You know, they're waiting. I guess you know, no, twelve no, no. hours, six uh, hours. You know, that that's what I used to do, and and so I actually used to have uh, stainless steel conicals, and I've given them all away. And what I would would do is, um, you know, I would chill my wort down to, like, ale temperatures. And this would be for loggers. I, I could get down to, to ale temperatures with a counterflow or with an immersion chiller. And I have all these fancy counterflow chillers. And then I would run it into one of these conicals. And then I'd put it in the fridge. And overnight, I'd wait for it to get down into the, you know, the mid-40s Fahrenheit. And then I would... Drop the the break material because on loggers I believe it's important to get rid of the bulk of break material, and then I would pitch my yeast, and so uh, you know this was great. It, it it worked quite well. the 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 danger is if your sanitization is not um, you know tip top, if you're not very careful about that sort of thing, 
Uh, bacteria will grow, you know, anything over 40 degrees Fahrenheit, you're going to get some bacterial action. That's why, you know, fridges, you know, they, they, they go around 40. Even then, you know, you're going to get some action. So you need to be very careful of that. Um, you know, the immersion chiller with the Whirlpool, you know, buy yourself a pump. Um, uh, you can you can knock down your your work to pitching temperature at that time, and you don't have to go through that step. And 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 once I did that, uh, I switched over to carboys because I no longer needed the conicals. Uh, all my brake material, and I get down to the temp and all that, right in the kettle, and then I run clear wort into the carboy, and then I pitch, and I'm all good to go. So uh, for me, that was a huge thing, and allowed me to uh, uh, you know switch back to carboys. All right, so be clean, and it's all right. Yeah, yeah, I think you're fine. You know, twelve yeah. hours. If you're if you're as freaking anal about it as I am, yeah, ah, no problem. You probably go twenty four or forty eight. And uh, by the way, Ch- uh, Chad does basically the same thing, and I did the last beer. I did. We have your uh, temp control conical, and it takes it overnight to cool down the work. But same mm-hmm. thing. If we we transfer just a little below eighty um, with your whirlpool chiller, but our waters, our our, our hose water is real warm here and in you the can summer. Run ice water through that. Yeah, we we should build like a like a bucket to kind of run it through the bucket first. Yeah. Um, we sh- we ought to do that to get it colder. That's a great idea, actually. You recirculate um, through ice, and it it gets uh, so that water that's is actually ice cold when it hits yeah. that wort. Right, and you can add salt to that. You can get down so fast, okay, and to so cold. Okay, I mean, you, yeah, I mean you'll have like frost forming on your your the out. Well, the in anyway. On your unit. On yeah. your unit. Yes. On my unit. Okay. Well, we'll try that. John's on a roll But I tonight. just I wanted to reinforce that that's what we, so uh-huh. we'll generally put it in and it, and it takes about overnight for that more beer conical to get it down to pitching mm-hmm. temp too. And obviously, Shat's uh, been doing great with his beer oh, yeah. with yeah, that I'm method. Drinking so. a IPA here, and Shat's yeah. made a number of beers that I would rate yeah. in the high 40s, if not a 50. I guarantee beer. when he listens to this show, though, we're going to have a nice bath going by next by his next brew. He'll be he into should. it. Yeah, he it's should. a good idea. I think it'll help. Yeah. Okay, that's it from the chat room, guys. All right. Cool. <laughs> cool. No, cooling. Well, yeah, cooling. Yeah, and I think I think tonight's show went real well. I think we got a lot of information conveyed. Okay. If you say so, then I'm happy. I feel so. I'm with Palmer. Good shows, boys. And, by the way, Jamil and Palmer, be proud of yourselves. I do think, if all goes well tomorrow, you two have just completed the final shows for Studio A here at the Brewing Network. We're getting to move to the new studio? Yeah. With air conditioning? You get to close it out. You get to kiss it goodbye. I'll pull my nuts off this 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 fake leather seat (laughs) one last time. It's faux leather. Right. Yes. <laughs> it's classier than fake leather. It's yes. faux leather. Well, you, you'll it's still let my, the dogs in, right? My nuts yes. wet all over it, that's for sure. You'll still hear the dogs and most likely the airport, you know, yeah. airplanes flying overhead. But you'll be nice and cool. Hooker. <laughs> yes, but you'll be nice so and cool. where is Studio B going to be? It's in the west wing of the Rat Pad here. Oh, okay. So, same place. <laughs> it's right here. But, so, uh, 10 feet away. Yeah, it's like, you know, yeah, it's, it's a good 14 feet away, Jamil. You're, yeah, come on, don't be true. ridiculous. That's true. Uh, I just wanted to point out, you know, say goodbye nicely to uh, St- Studio A's treated us well and treated us poorly That's all true. at the same time. You know, the weird thing was, I was thinking the other day, I wish I had a lot of pictures of this. Yeah. Uh, you know, just from yeah. my angle sitting here, pictures of you, pictures of John, pictures of everything in the studio. I, w- I wish I had a bunch of pictures of that. A few years of uh, 
sitting in here and, and, and several friggin' hours. Four years of my nuts <laughs> stuck to the seat, yes. <laughs> Looking at us. Hot summer and freezing my ass off in the winter yeah. and... Uh, you know, talking in the stinky microphone. Of course, the stinky microphones will still be there. Yeah, that will travel. So you'll get there, there'll be a lot of uh, memory uh, recall, aroma, aroma therapy. Yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But and and the other thing about you're right, Jamil. We should have had more pictures because the way your health has been declining lately, be uh, you're going to be soon. And, and senile before that. Right, and you'll be able to sell those. <laughs> right, have me sign them ahead of time. Yeah, blank photo paper, and then print them all on there. And I'll dig up what we have. Yeah. share them with you. Absolutely, I think. Uh, if if it's not this lump on the back of my hand that takes me out, it's uh you know the uh, blinding pain while I'm banging the wife type <laughs> the, of pain. You the know, boning blackouts. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's, if it's not one thing, it's it, it's another. Yeah. <sighs> all right, guys, take well, it away. All right, so uh, the whole thing about uh, fermentation temperature control, you, you can start out very plain and simple. Uh, the important thing is to kind of be aware of your environment. Uh, you want to uh, tend to pick an area that doesn't get like direct sun or you know uh, have weird shifts in temperature throughout the day, uh, you, you know uh, interior closet things like that. If you're short on cash, increasing the thermal mass of what you're trying to control is going to help. You put your uh, your fermenter in a tub of water in a bathtub, something like that. If that doesn't help enough, then you switch to active control, and that's. Uh, you know, fan across the towel if you're in a dry enough uh, area as far as humidity goes. Um, although, you know, uh, well, or, um, you know, a, a window AC unit. But if you're going to pony up for a window AC unit and go through the trouble of mounting it, I would just get a fridge. If you get a fridge, you might be able to jack around with the, uh, the, the thermostat if it's a manual control and, and get that adjusted. But... You know, have the wife turn a few more tricks and, uh, you know, put the kids out begging on the corner and sell the dog, according to John, and you can, uh, you know, get yourself a controller. No, rent the dog. Rent the dog. (laughs) Rent the dog to the neighbor with a real emotional problem, yes. And then, uh, and I won't pay top dollar, Uh, (laughs) and, and, and then get yourself a controller and with that controller, um, you know, the probe can go on the outside. The thermal well is fine. If you really want to do that, it's another sanitary point. That's why I don't do it. Uh, you know, you, on the outside with some insulation, you're fine. Uh, you can even do uh, multiple carboys in one fridge, one doing lagers, one doing ales. You could do both with ales, both with lagers. Uh, you know, uh, either they're touching if you want them to read the same temperature or they're spread apart and one has a heater and one has uh, the fridge cooling if you want to do different temperatures. Uh, there's kind of a limit to that that temperature range. You can do 15 degrees is about the maximum. Uh, and what else did we, what did we cover, John? Is that about it? I think that was about it, yeah. Um, but the two-stage. Two-stage? Uh, both, heating, both heating and cooling. Right, 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 yeah. Um, and uh, if you really want precise temperature to control it, and the important thing is, uh, you know, uh, steady temperature or rising temperature. You know, you right. just don't want the the wild fluctuations. And 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 really, uh, you know, Joe already knows this. Uh, you know, the importance of temperature control is really the importance in the beer you're making. Uh, it, it it has as much to do with the flavor development and successful attenuation as proper pitching rate. So uh, you know, don't don't leave it to chance. 
uh, you know, do what you can to save every pennies. You shouldn't be buying, uh, you know, stainless steel conicals. What you should be buying is fermentation temperature control. And uh, I think even the people, our fine sponsors at More Beer will tell you the same. They they sell great stainless steel conicals and all that other gear that you can get. Um, definitely go by there and check that out. And if if you got the extra Quatloos, go ahead and uh, use them on that. But, uh, uh, you know, it, if it's a matter of choice, uh, fermentation temperature control is is everything for that. Yeah. All right. Another fine show. And uh, if you enjoy this kind of programming, visit our sponsor, morebeer.com. Tell them how much you love the show and thank them for sponsoring us. And also go to uh, thebrewingnetwork.com. We've got a whole store there. And I'll tell you, the, uh, the current studio is going to become all merchandise. I'm looking at racks and racks of great merchandise shirts, hats, glassware, books. Books signed by John. You want a book, uh, How to Brew, personally signed by John? We'll even uh, tell you how much he loves you in there. They're here in the Brewing Network store. And you can get in there, uh, pick up stuff like that. All the profits go directly to the Brewing Network and and keep all the shows going. So if you enjoy the Sunday session, session, if you enjoy Can You Brew It? or that show that shouldn't be mentioned, all those shows are supported too. And and it's a good cause. Uh, Same thing, you can donate. Click on that Donate Now button, and you can sign up to, to contribute as little as $2 a month. It puts you in a raffle that more beer supplies the prizes for. They've given away conical fermenters, uh, counter counterflow chillers. They've given away a whole sculpture this last month. And if you sign up as one of those recurring donators, you get to participate in that, too. Uh, and... If you're if you're uh, uh, get the chance to listen to live, you get to join in the chat room on the forum, click uh, to participate in that. Until then, I wish you all a uh, merry Christmas and uh, Bruce Strong. Keep reaching for the stars.